Hey everyone, it's Michael. Welcome back to another episode of Elevate Retake. This week on the podcast, you've got the message, you are worthy of the kingdom of God. And I take a look at the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians. We're turning the corner this week and looking at another book in the series, Rethinking Church. I hope you enjoy this message and it hits home for you. It was a blessing to many that heard it. Our engaged question is, how are they included? And I'd like you to think about that question as we dive into scripture today. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, what we just sung about and lifted up our voices and praise to you. God, we're coming to scripture today with an expectation. You promise that you're faithful and that you'll show up. So God, we're expecting that you're gonna show up. As we turn to these ancient words, may they speak to our hearts, may they speak to our souls, may they speak to where we are right here, right now. May the testimony of Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the Thessalonians a second time ring true in our ears. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. That's where we're gonna be today. 2 Thessalonians is markedly shorter than 1 Thessalonians. Uh, We spent 10 weeks, can you believe that? 10 weeks going through the first book to the Thessalonians, and we will only spend three weeks going through the book of 2 Thessalonians. Thessalonians, because there's, there's quite a bit of overlap, and we don't want to kind of slug through stuff maybe that we've already covered, but there are some important things that we want to pick out of 2 Thessalonians. And I'm going to apologize right off the bat. You spend 10 weeks saying a book of a Bible, and you only change one little thing about it, and you go from 1 to 2 Thessalonians. I may say today 1 Thessalonians and intend to say 2 Thessalonians. So I'm just going to apologize for that up front. Is that okay? You guys bear with me a little bit. Okay, I got a couple of you head nods. Everybody else is like, I don't know yet. We'll, we'll, we'll see after today. So here we go. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 reads this way. It'll sound really familiar. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica to you who belong to God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very familiar opening to Paul's letter, right? This is kind of his framework, the way that he opens up his messages and his letter to people. And notice here, God the Father has become God our Father. There's this idea of of personality to God, someone that we can be in relationship with. And it's not just God my Father, it's God our Father, which means I'm in relationship with God and relationship with you as we are in relationship with the Father. God is not some far off divine entity that's someplace that we cannot access, but the divine person is our Father. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy continue on. Verse 2, we won't spend a lot of time on this today. You can go back to the very first message in this series that we unpacked a lot of the language that comes out of these two verses. Verse 2 says this, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Paul is up the ante a little bit in 2 Thessalonians compared to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians simply reads, grace to you and peace, period, moving on. But 2 Thessalonians, scholars argue, sets up Paul's precedent for how he will address other churches. 
You go through all the other letters that he wrote in the New Testament, and you'll see that 2 Thessalonians becomes the blueprint from which Paul writes his letters. You can go home this afternoon, aside from 1 Thessalonians and Colossians, you will find these very exact words. And if it's not that exact, there's a slight derivative to it that's important for that one church. But you will find these words to the other churches that Paul writes to. That's kind of fun to think about, right? That this letter, this one, was in some ways the beginning of Paul's ministry through letter. And it becomes a blueprint for how he would approach those churches. We're not sure the exact date that this letter was written. It's Second Thessalonians because it comes after the first letter to the Thessalonians. And there's some time that has passed in between Paul's first writing and his second writing. And he's writing back to them with encouragement. We're going to look at a lot of encouragement today, but he's also got some harsh words and some concerns for them specifically around the second coming and how that's going to kind of shape in the the end time, which we're going to look at next week. And then he's got a lot of words to say about kingdom living, what it means to to follow Jesus and walk in his ways. And we're going to look at that two weeks from today. What we're going to look at today in our look at 2 Thessalonians begins in verse 3. He writes this way. Dear brothers and sisters, that hasn't changed. They're brothers and sisters to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. If you've been with us in this series or you've read 1 Thessalonians, Paul admonished the Thessalonican people, the Thessalonians, and he says, you're doing really well at love and I want you to love even more. And Paul's got a glimpse of them in the future now and he says, you've done it. Your faith has flourished. Your love for one another is growing and I'm so excited about that. I can't help but thank God because you followed the advice. You did the thing that I asked you to do and that was to love your neighbor well, to expand your faith and trust in Jesus and you're doing that and I'm thankful to God because God's the only one that could bring that about. He's thankful for this group of people who has done what he asked them to do. And he's almost gushing for them, right? It's not like, God, thanks for the Thessalonians. You know, they really did well. They, they bolstered their faith a little bit. Now their love is lavish. No, Paul's an emotional guy. He says, God, thank you. Their faith has increased. Their love has overflowed. And I, I think about it this way. A, a couple of uh, uh, months ago, we had a friend of ours gave us two little uh, seedlings uh, of a magnolia tree. And they started off like about this tall. And we were gone for, for two weeks. And, and, you know, it was a couple months ago. So they, they had started to grow and we could see it. We were gone for two weeks and we come back. And those, I mean, they had starting to go big. It's like, wow, when you leave from one place and then come back and to see, wow, things have changed. Had my little Paul moment with our little uh, magnolia tree seedlings over there. It's like, oh, you guys have grown. It's been so long. When did this happen, right? Anybody tell you that? Wow, you've gotten so big, you know? That's what Paul is telling the, the, Thessal- the Thessalonians in this verse. And he continues on because there's, there's been some troubling times for this community, right? We can't live in this world without going through troubling times. Jesus says that's a guarantee. In this world, you will have trouble. 
but he goes about proudly telling others about what the Thessalonian people are doing. We proudly tell God, tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you're suffering. Verse 5, and God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. Paul's proud about this group. They've done so well. And even in the face of persecution, when trouble has come their way, they have led out and have become an example to others. And God is working in their lives to make them worthy of his kingdom. We've got to wrestle with those words there a little bit. This is from the New Living Translation. I debated this week about what translation to bring before you today. I, there's some other ways that they translate well that I wanted to highlight today, so we stuck with it. But here, some of your Bible versions might say that God would count you worthy of the kingdom or regard you worthy of the kingdom. And that, that word that the New Living Translation translates as make is really this idea of regard or consider. When God looks at us, he counts us worthy of the kingdom. Nothing that we have to do other than to believe in him, to accept what Jesus has done. And God sees that and he says, I count you worthy. I'm going to consider you worthy of the kingdom. And in this second letter to the Thessalonians, Paul begins his look at the kingdom of God. He begins to open up before the people and before Paul, we're going to be spending some time this fall looking at what the kingdom of God is all about. And Paul is giving us a little bit of a sneak peek. That there's this God in heaven who's actively working in spite of the troubles, in the midst of the troubles, in the midst of the persecution, to count the Thessalonian people worthy of the kingdom of God. Question can come up in your mind, right? It's like, how, how am I included in that? Or what, what maybe makes me worthy. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. He says, don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. There's this picture in the gospel writer's mind that the, the father in heaven is so excited. Maybe it's Christmas morning and he's known that there's this gift that his children have absolutely longed for and he gives it to them with gladness, with happiness. It's not a burden for God to extend access to the kingdom of God to us. It's not a, something that he's like, ah, these humans again. Like if they could get their life together, this would be a little bit easier. He says, no, I want to bestow upon you the kingdom of God. And he counts each and every one of us worthy of the kingdom. Now we've got to wrestle with this a little bit, right? Because the Thessalonian church faced difficulty. In the midst of difficulty, it can be some of the most discouraging times, right? It's sometimes hard to believe in the face of adversity that there's a God in heaven who loves us. That there's a God in heaven who's desirous of us. That a, a God in heaven who has forgiven us. Sometimes it's difficult. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me. Sometimes the promises of God are hard to see with that veil of, of trouble, of persecution in front of us. Maybe we hold anger, bitterness, or frustration that this summer didn't work out how it was supposed to work out. We're going, transitioning into the school year without someone that we love. A change of relationship, a change of job. Something has come up that is 
caused us to be angry, to be bitter, to be frustrated. But here's God's promise. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6-9. through nine. In His justice, He will pay back those who persecute you. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with His mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who do not know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. In verse 9, they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. Those are some harsh words, aren't they? God in judgment burning people up. Don't we serve a loving God? Someone who's come to save us. Paul puts his thoughts towards God's judgment here, and he says, those who continue to disobey God, those who, who choose not God, their punishment is coming. So in the midst of your trial, trouble, and circumstance that you find yourself right now, don't lose heart. Why is it that the evil person gets ahead, the person who cheats gets ahead, this, this, that, and the other thing, and God says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of that at the end. It takes patience. It takes waiting. And what I think it really boils down to, in this world, we have two choices. You know, we made a lot of decisions this morning about what we were going to wear and what time we were going to come here, or maybe somebody else made that decision for you. No shame, it's okay. There's a lot of decisions that we make in this life, but this world boils down to two decisions, two choices. Either a choice of God or a choice of not God. There's either God or there's not God. There's a video that circulated this week that somebody was asking this person who's standing on on a street, like, hey, what's, what's what's the secret to life? And this person is going around and asking different people, and they pause, and this one person says, what's, what's the secret to life? And the other person that's being filmed looks back and says, there's no, there's no secret to the, to the good life, no secret to get ahead or anything. He says, the, the one thing that you must do is stop disobeying the Almighty. There's this concept, this idea that comes out of Scripture that when we live our lives according to the way that God has pointed out towards us, when we accept the salvation that comes from Jesus and believe the good news of the gospel of peace, we find ourselves in the center of God's will. And that's no secret. It's out there in the open for us in the pages of this good book. That as we live our lives according to the calling, God will deal with us and with our neighbor justly. And in case you had any doubts, God is going to deal with evil. God is going to deal with man's inhumanity to man. God is going to deal with racism. God is going to deal with sexism, genderism, ableism, and every other prejudice that this world may hold. God is going to deal with violence, with mistreatment, with injustice, denigration and degradation, trafficking. The list goes on and on. God is going to deal with broken homes and broken relationships and the perpetuated evil that is inflicted in this world. One day it will all be made new. 
We must have hope in that. And that doesn't mean that we're off the hook, right? We can just sit back and be like, well, God's going to take care of it one day, and so I don't have any responsibility in this world. No, 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 no. Our pursuit of justice, our pursuit of love, compassion, care, and benevolence towards the ones that are sitting beside us and that we come into contact with every single day should always be framed within God's work of making all things new. It's the only sure ground to stand on. That God one day will make all things new. And if the gospel does not do that for us, if the gospel cannot provide for us some type of transformation, something that makes our lives different, that changes our hearts and changing our minds, that gospel is not good news. And there are a lot of gospels in this world, right? It's the gospel of social justice. There's the gospel of consumerism. There's the gospel of getting ahead while everyone else is behind. But the true good news is that Jesus has come to this world and that must change us. That must be the primary gospel upon which we frame everything else in this world. God's promises are true. He will deal with this world. And he calls us to walk lives of love, of justice, compassion, care, and benevolence. But let's be honest, sometimes we have to wait, right? We see the, the tragedies of this world and we're like, God, I wish I could do something about it. Or we're trying my hardest to do something about it and we must wait. Sometimes there, there's nothing that we can do. We simply have to sit by and watch as man is inhumane to man. And the question then comes, what? do we do in the waiting? What do we do while we wait? This world is evil. We can see it. Jesus guarantees it. There is a coming day where all things will be made new. But what do we do in the meantime? I would offer you this morning that Paul makes the case in 2 Thessalonians that we must believe while we wait. That there's a hope placed out in front of us. There's a, a vision of grandeur of a world made new and we must believe. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. When He comes on that day, speaking of Jesus returning at the second coming, He will receive glory from His holy people. Praise from all who what? believe. Paul's got in his mind's eye, Jesus is returning, and there's this group of people that's shouting, Hallelujah, praise ye the Lord, right? Hallelujah, praise ye the Lord. Or I don't know, whatever song we're going to sing, we're probably not even going to be, it's just going to be like, yes, finally, Jesus has come, right? Okay, maybe just, just me, it's okay. We'll, we'll, and it's early on a Sabbath morning, you know, like, it's kind of sit here and be comfortable and everything. Like, we're not ready for that, I get it, I get it. We're shouting at the top of our lungs. Praise, honor, and glory to Jesus. And often, perhaps in Christianity, he paints a picture of maybe it's the doers who are there at that day that are, that are praising God, right? Maybe I've got all of my ducks in a row and I, I keep the, the right day for worship and I make sure that clothing length is, is long enough and I, you know, I, I eat a good diet and you know, Big Franks are a part of that and you know, I just I, I do the things that Christians and Adventists are supposed to do, right? But Paul doesn't say that praise comes from all the doers. He says praise comes from all who believe. And then he turns and says, this includes you, for you 
believed what we told you about him. And when I, when I read this in preparation for sharing it with you this morning, I got chills. This includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. Paul, Silas, and Timothy had come preaching the gospel of Jesus in Thessalonica. And he says, you, you group of people, you, you beautiful church who are just abounding in love and in faith, and you're an example for everybody else. You are included not because of the things you've done, but because of what you have believed. That belief has changed you. It's done something inside of you that has made the gospel attractive, that has made Jesus someone worth following. This group of people on that day when Jesus comes includes you. And our engaged question for today, how are they included? They believed what they were told about Jesus. You see, salvation is all about believing what is said about Jesus. And not the, the false Jesus that might be raised up in this country, or the prosperity Jesus, or the different gospels that you may have heard of, but the Jesus that's found inside of this book. The Jesus in whose name we gather week in and week out to praise, honor, and adore. The Jesus that is walking with us every single step of our journey. That Jesus. What we believe about that Jesus is what brings salvation to us. I love how Paul here doesn't define the, the end time people or the people who are giving honor and glory to, to, to Jesus, not by what has, has set them apart, but how they're included. And I would rather define our community by what brings us together than what drives us apart. Because Paul is unequivocal in this verse that the people that are gathered in that day praising Jesus' name are those who believed what was told to them about Jesus. Because what we truly believe, when we truly believe something, something worth believing, it, it changes us. You know the little, little children's story about the little engine that could, right? I think I can. I think I can. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. The engine believed in itself. And before we know it, the engine is traveling all over the place because it believed that it could. What would it look like for us or how might we change if we believed that we were children of the King? That we're heirs to the promise, receivers of the covenant, redeemed from destruction, set free from the power of sin and death. When we believe that, it changes things. It causes us to recognize our place in this gospel and that there's a Jesus who loves us. And that we're children of the King, heirs of the promise. It changes things. It changes things. Paul's not done. He wraps up this chapter, verses 11 and 12. So we keep on praying for you. How many of us need prayers? He's looking back at this church. He's like, you've been, you've been persecuted and we know that you're going to be included in that day because you believe, but we're going to keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do.
Here's what happens when we believe in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, come to a real understanding of who he is, it changes us. And it's not something that we're, we're striving for. One day we, we reach nirvana, we reach perfection, because if, if we do that, then like, what's, what's eternity worth, right? If we can achieve that here, what's, what's, what's it worth? But our lives are lives lived out eternally seeking the person of who Jesus is. Continually seeking a Father who loves us, a Holy Spirit who wants to walk beside us. And let me tell you that that God whom we seek, seeks us even more. And he's the one that gives us the, the power to accomplish when we feel in our heart that good thing that our faith is prompting us to do. That courageous step that says, I'm going to move across the country because I feel God is calling me to this place. I'm going to walk across the room to talk to someone because I believe God is calling me to do that. I'm going to take a stand of faith in my marriage. I'm going to take a stand of faith in uh, the relationship with my kids. I'm going to take a stand of faith in my job, not to be lunatic and crazy and go off the deep end. No, 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 no. When God has called you, he will give you the power to do what he has called you to do. And Paul finishes this way. First, second, there we go. See, First Thessalonians. Ha <laughs> I told you it was coming. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 12. Then, as we live lives that are worthy of the calling of God, and that God gives us the enabling to follow after the faith promptings, then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. I think 2 Thessalonians, in my mind, is pretty clear. Those who are saved, those who are a part of God's chosen people, are not there because of anything that they have accomplished or done. They are simply there because they believe in a Jesus who is Lord. A Jesus who is Savior. A Jesus who is coming back. A Jesus who is creator and recreator. A Jesus who is coming to make all things new. And we, we, when we believe that Jesus, that Jesus will change things in our lives. One day we'll wake up years from now and see, God, you were faithful then and you were faithful then and you were faithful then. And I can't believe what I believed then, but you bet I know what I believe now, that Jesus loves even me and you. So here's the invitation this morning. How are they included, right? We could put a blank in there. We could put any, any people group that you want to in there. Let your mind wander with that. How are they included? They're included because they believe in a God who saves. So I invite you this morning, simple invitation as our praise team comes up, leads us one through one more song as we're coming to the altar. The invitation this morning is to believe what is said of Jesus and to let what has been said of Jesus change you. It's my hope and prayer and hope our community comes together and believes those words that we might be changed as well. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Elevate Retake. I hope it was a blessing for you. 
Stay tuned. Thursday this week, we are going to be discussing this message and diving a little bit deeper into what it means to be worthy of the kingdom of God. We can't wait to see you there on another episode of Elevate Retake.